0: Hey there, welcome to the What Connects Us podcast where we explore human connection with people in Saskatchewan. Today we'll hear some hard-earned perspective from Carla Ellard, who will share how she found strength and purpose in helping others after the loss of her son. This episode is powerful, so let's jump right in. All right, today I have the opportunity to sit down and help tell a story that is very close to my family's heart. And I get to interview someone who to me, and I know a lot of others, has always been the embodiment of resilience and kindness. I am so excited to introduce you to my auntie, Carla Ellert, who has experienced every parent's worst nightmare, not once, but twice. After grieving the sudden loss of her young daughter, Alyssa, Carla found herself in a very similar heartbreaking position when her eight-year-old son Dawson passed away after complications from surgery to remove a brain tumor. Through grief, Carla found purpose in building a legacy for Dawson by helping families so they could experience a little more comfort when placed in sensitive situations comparable to what she went through. Carla and her family started Skate for Smiles, an annual skateathon that started small, but quickly captured the hearts of so many people, and in five short years, they had raised over, get this, to help build the Jim Pattison Children's Hospital in Saskatoon. In this interview, Carla holds nothing back as she shares her transferable lesson she learned through immense tragedy and the hard earned perspective that has helped her in her resilience journey. So get ready, you're going to feel a lot of emotions in this one, but I'm so confident that Carla will leave you so incredibly inspired. So what connects us to Carla? Let's find out. Carla Ellert, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey Mason, great to be here.
0: Oh, it's going to be such a great conversation. But before we do, I just want to dress the elephant in the room. We are related. Carla is my auntie. So this is a uh-huh. story I've heard and lived through with her, but I'm going to do my best to put myself in the shoes of the listener and ask questions so that the listener would want to know, but I'm sure I'm going to learn things along the way as well. Plus, I'm excited for people to get a little bit of a taste of our family. Believe it or not, you and I are more of the subdued ones, I'd say, in a very loud, eccentric family. I always feel like we do the annual... Alert gift exchange that gets quite heated and competitive. competitive, You and I kind of have the same strategy where we sit back and watch, watch and listen, and listen, let others make fools out of themselves, go crazy out of (laughs) for blankets. It seems (laughs) to be what everybody goes after every year.
1: The latest Costco
0: blanket. The latest Costco blanket. So you're one of my favorite aunties. I'll go out and say it. Oh,
1: thanks, Mason.
0: Oh, you bet. So. Let's get started with a quick introduction. Who is Carla Ellert? Give me some background on who you are so we can better understand your story.
1: Uh, I'm a 51 year old. Uh, I have three amazing children. Um, two are in heaven. Um, Alyssa, she uh, was born in 1990 and passed away in 95, um, six weeks before her fifth birthday. Uh, I have my second born, Dawson. He um, was born in 2001, uh, passed away in 2010 at eight years old. And I have Alex. He's my youngest. He's 17. He's in grade 12. Um, and I've been married for 21 years to Mike, uh, or Michael, as I like to call him. <laughs> if I'm Very upset, formal. If I'm upset with him. <laughs> Um, I was born in Regina. I was raised in, um, Stoughton, an hour and a half, uh, southeast of Regina. Um, raised on a farm, um, great way to grow up, wouldn't change a thing. Uh, moved to Regina in, I guess, 91 to pursue post-secondary, uh, schooling. Haven't really ventured too far from here. Uh, currently live in White City. I'm currently employed, uh, with Prairie Valley School Division at, um, vibank school
0: number one baseball mom right now right
1: i'm the number one baseball you mom. are oh, yeah <laughs> i love it i love being a baseball mom uh alex keeps me busy he's uh yeah he's an elite ball player and uh is he ever but more importantly he's he's a kind compassionate kid he's a real good kid
0: awesome yeah right on yeah Uh, So before we go any further, I just want to pose a really quick trigger warning for anyone listening. We're about to discuss the death of a loved one. So both Carla and I are comfortable talking about our experiences and this experience in particular. But if this is a topic that impacts your mental health, please prioritize your own self-care and don't be afraid to turn off the podcast or skip ahead if you need. So, Carla, today's episode largely surrounds the perspective you learned and the purpose you found through your son's tragic passing. So before... We talk about the tragedy, introduce us to Dawson and what life was like prior to him getting sick.
1: Uh, Dawson came into the world nine pounds, 14 ounces. He was a a happy, healthy baby. When my husband and I got married, we knew right away we wanted to have children. Uh, We were lucky enough to get pregnant right away. And um, yeah, when he was born, it felt um, kind of felt for me, it felt like a... A second chance. I had uh, my daughter had passed away in '95, um, so uh, when Dawson came, I I just really felt like this was my second chance, and and uh, we we're just happy we had everything uh, that we wanted, and and he was um, as he grew older, uh, he was uh, bright, inquisitive, um, funny. He was. Um, just full of wonder, like he just was he really was just our our everything. we, we had it all and and uh, he just made our world a better place. He w- He did get quite a few bouts of colds and flus and the croup. Um, if you don't know what the croup is, it's a respiratory respiratory uh, infection that young kids can get, which, uh, we'd always end up in emergency with him in the middle of the night, but he was always smiling. He always had smiles for the doctors and the nurses. And, um, he just had a really neat perspective on life. He, uh, even though at the time we didn't know, um, he was struggling physically, uh, he just, he would always, um, say, well, that was the best day ever, even if Mm. he wasn't feeling well or, um, yeah, he was just a really bright, positive, always smiling. He uh, developed the nickname Smiley from mm-hmm. uh, his elementary school uh, in Regina when we lived here. But um, yeah, he just was, he was all things good in this world, that's for sure.
0: One thousand percent. Gentle reminds me gentle. Of, of him. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, he
1: was uh, he was an old soul. He, uh, well, ACDC was his favorite band. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he was... Uh, And then at growing up, he was our guitar hero master at home. I was just going to say,
0: when he set his mind to something, it it was locked in on it. He could do guitar hero songs without even looking at the TV. That's right. He
1: would turn around just to, and he wasn't a show off, but he would turn around just to show us how well he knew this song. It was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, he definitely was focused. And when he made his mind up, he saw it out to the end. For sure. Yeah.
0: So when did you first start noticing that something seemed a little off with Dawson.
1: Dawson was in, uh, kindergarten. I was, uh, once when he was born, I had quit my, uh, job to stay home and, and to raise him. And then Alex, when he came along, but, um, I had noticed in kindergarten his, uh, when I would drop him off and pick him up, The other kids in his class were not quite a bit bigger than him, but Dawson just looked really petite among all of his other uh, classmates. Um, And then also, this might sound really strange, but I had noticed for three winters that he had wore the same winter boots, like he hadn't grown out of them. Oh, right. So it kind of, I I just found that really strange that, because kids grow out of things in six months, and he had, uh, so when he started kindergarten he had the same size boots so I thought well hmm, this is really strange but I thought well I'm not very tall maybe he just has my genes he's not going to be a very big kid but uh, that's when I really first started um, to notice uh, as things went grade one uh, we did start to notice a little bit of focusing he had trouble focusing um, at that time Uh, one of the teachers had mentioned it too and of course we had him to his family doctor and she assured us that there was no no concerns at all so we just carried on
0: right so tell me a little bit about Dawson's medical journey prior to his diagnosis
1: we had so I guess just picking up from there uh, in grade one when we were noticing uh, the focusing issues again he would, um, the teachers said he was having trouble focusing at school, but yet he'd come home and he would just rock out this amazing song with guitar here he'd yeah. sit for hours and make, um, clay figurines like dinosaurs, intricate figures, uh, with his finger. Like he was, and so we didn't really see that. Um, but then, uh, in grade two, he had started to gain, um, an incredible amount of weight. Like I say, incredible. You can imagine how big a, um, you know, a seven-year-old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not very big. And he gained f- over 15 pounds in a matter of months uh, without any change to his eating habits or uh, activity level. Uh, and at that time, he was getting a few headaches, nothing um, nothing too bad. Um, so we would have him to the family doctor. They would do blood work. Um, everything was normal. Everything, mm-hmm. um, they couldn't... They just would send us home. Uh, We were at the pediatrician. He had finally ordered a bone scan to see if everything, how everything looked there. It was all normal. Everything was always normal. Right. So we would go home and uh, there was just no, um, it really bothered me, the weight gain, because I knew there was no change to his activity level, his eating. He was an active kid. We ate healthy. Uh, There was just no... There was no reason for it. But as, um, you know, someone not trained in the medical field, you trust the doctors and -hmm. and what they're telling you, and you trust the tests. And I probably should have pushed for more tests, but, you know, I didn't know at the time. I I trusted the doctors and... and,
0: yeah, and your mother's intuition is kicking in saying, I feel like something's yeah. up here. Absolutely. Yeah. And I,
1: I didn't want to cause trouble or rock the boat mm. or, um, again, I just, I trusted what they were telling me. And, and, and with blood work and bone scans, the, the, it, it was all checking out. It yeah. was all checking out. That's right. Uh, so,
0: so in February of 2010, you received news that every parent fears. Tell me about that and how that news was uncovered.
1: Uh, So in February of 2010, Dawson would have been uh, eight. He was in grade three leading up to his diagnosis. He was diagnosed on a Sunday, but I'll just kind of go back a little bit. Leading up to that week, his uh, auntie was getting married. Mm -hmm. So it was a big week in our house. Uh, He was ring bearer. Mm -hmm. And his brother alex ring and security i think ring security is yeah. that what it's called yeah that now? was on the back oh, okay. of, on the back of his shirt i remember oh, he had that's ring right. security on yeah, it yeah he did um so it was a big week he wasn't feeling well uh he was getting more and more headaches he what we thought um was the flu that would come and go he would have bouts of throwing up he had actually been to the back to the doctors again pediatrician um, and they had diagnosed him with migraines. Mm. So we were trying to cut out foods that we thought were triggering these migraines, but um, leading up to the wedding, um, he stayed home for a couple of days and just rested. He was really tired. The day of the wedding came on Saturday, and uh, he was a real trooper. He was tired. His, his eyes looked like he had really dark circles under his mm-hmm. eyes, and at this time he, was, um, he had lost a little bit of weight, because he was throwing up quite a bit. Right. Uh, he wasn't really eating. He didn't have an appetite. So then he made it through the wedding. He, um, like I said, he was a real trooper. He he never complained. So mm-hmm. again, it was hard to know that he wasn't feeling well because he didn't he didn't complain. But during the reception, uh, when we were eating, he just said, I just need to close my eyes. I, would, I would need to go lay down. So there was just a little room yep. where we were sitting. Uh, so we just, we laid down um, the men laid down their suit jackets. And I think there must've been a blanket back there. I know he, um, got all snuggled in and, and had a little nap. And, uh, so then during the speeches portion, uh, of the reception, my husband was actually up giving, um, his new brother-in-law the welcome to the family speech. And Dawson just came up to me and tapped me on the arm and said, uh, he always called me mama. He said, mama, I'm not feeling good. And When i looked down when i i looked at him and i said oh and and when i looked at him uh one side of his face was drooping and um so i knew right away something was terribly wrong so i just quietly got up and and we made our way kind of trying to get out of um the hall and i knew we had to call the ambulance i didn't have my phone with me so i just quietly told one of my other sister-in-laws when i was going by call the ambulance dawson and i are going to be out in the lobby. Mm-hmm. So of course this was, she had no idea what was going on. So she met me out in the lobby and, and um, so I was just trying to stay calm. I didn't want to alarm Dawson or, right. or anything. So uh, the ambulance came um, and we just tried to keep lay low. We didn't want to ruin uh, Sandy and Ryan's big day. Right. And anyway, uh, my husband went with him in the ambulance and I stayed back at the wedding with Alex. And then uh, someone had drove us to the hospital after. So they kept him overnight. They didn't do a CT scan at that time um, because there was no one on call that night so they sent us home again Uh, and then in the morning he woke up he was violently throwing up and and we knew something was terribly wrong so the four of us uh, piled into the the truck and headed to the general to the emerge and uh, finally they did a CT scan um, and they discovered um, a very large tumor uh, in the center of his brain, uh, surrounding his pituitary gland. Mm-hmm. Um, the type of tumor is called craniopharyngioma. Um, it's common in kids ages five to 12. Um, not common, but, um, one in a million kids will get it. Oh. And, uh, and our boy had it. So, yeah. uh, it's the type of tumor that the doctors suspect that he was born with. It's a slow growing tumor. Right. Um, And these tumours can be removed. Kids can live a long, healthy life if they're caught early and removed. But um, unfortunately for us, all the signs were missed. None of the pieces were put together. Mm -hmm. And uh, it wasn't discovered until it was a fairly large tumour. Is
0: there a a way that that could have been discovered outside of doing a, a CT scan?
1: I don't know, Mason. Like, I don't know... Um, it seems odd to me, and it always has, that his blood work was normal, yeah. um, that everything was normal. I should say, too, by the time he had gotten to the hospital, he um, his eyesight was affected. Yeah. He, um, We had noticed a few days, even before the wedding, that he was closing one eye to focus. Right. And he just said, "I can see better that way," yeah. and and that's all he said. So I thought, "Oh, well, okay." Yep. But the tumor was um, putting pressure on his optic nerve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had, so by the time he had gotten to the hospital, it was affecting his eyesight as well.
0: Right. So. Yeah, I remember. I remember that wedding, and you could just feel like something was off. And I remember right. he was. Um, he was holding his ears like the music was was like bothering him. It was
1: too loud. Everything was ju- well, and you know how you feel when you get a headache. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. Um, I just I can't imagine how he felt, and never never complained. Nope. Never
0: he never cried. That's that's the first no. night I saw him cry. I remember? Yeah. So that's when I felt like. Ooh, something must be wrong with Dawson.
1: Yeah, he, you know what? And yet, what he knew um, that day, he had a job. He knew yeah. he had to um, do it for his auntie. Yeah. Um. He and you know everybody pumped him up. He was yeah. ring bear. Totally. Um. And after we, I think the wedding was over at the church, and we got to the hall. I think he just he couldn't. He knew that he just needed to rest. He was tired and. Right and he'd done his job and yeah. it was okay then.
0: Yeah, for so, sure. Yeah. So this medical care came before the children's hospital was opened in Saskatoon. Can you describe the medical care Dawson received leading up to his surgery? So after the diagnosis leading up to his surgery?
1: Um, we were in the general, so of course, once the tumor, um, once we knew he had a tumor, Uh, Of course, they kept him in, and uh, I don't recall what floor he went to uh, when we were at the general, but he stayed there for uh, a couple of days um, while the doctors um, uh, developed a plan. Um, uh, The tumor was so large, we weren't sure uh, what the plan was, so... Mm -hmm. Um, it was decided, so that was a Sunday on a Tuesday, it was decided, uh, to send him to the Royal University Hospital in Saskatoon. Uh, there was other, uh, a doctor there that had more experience with this type of tumor. So the, and the care at the general was wonderful. The people and the doctors, they're amazing. They really are. He had, uh, a room there. He was comfortable, um, Yeah, he, he, he was quite fine. He was quite concerned not being with Alex. Him and Alex were best buds and, and always inseparable. But um, we tried to keep it as normal, which seems weird. But if we tried to keep it as normal for both of them, um, Alex still went to school, we didn't want to really disrupt him. He was just in kindergarten. So it's hard for him to understand um and Dawson knew he had something in his head and we just explained you know the doctors are going to try to remove it and Mm -hmm. it's going to make you feel better and it was almost um a relief for him that um okay so okay there is something in my head that's why I haven't Mm -hmm. been feeling good um
0: how did that feel for you you mentioned it was a bit of a relief for him you had spent years thinking that something is off so that news is confirmed but that's very scary scary news to hear how were you feeling in these moments
1: you know i had a lot of emotions i was um, probably upset with myself you know when you say i knew it why why didn't i why didn't i push harder why i knew it but you know that that wasn't the time then to make myself feel guilty or have that mom guilt i was actually surprised that I was, not surprised, I mean, that's not the right word. Probably, I couldn't believe that I was in that situation. Having already lost a child, uh, I couldn't believe that I was actually faced with this. Um, And I really thought he was going to be okay. When we were in Regina at the General, um, I just, I thought they were gonna remove the tumor, we were gonna take him home and, we finally knew what was happening. Right. His life would improve. He'd start to feel better. I just, um, there was that, but also too, I was really focused on out, Ale- like I kinda, I was kinda all over the place. Right. Um, but immediately going into Saskatoon, it was, so it wasn't the children's hospital then, it was the Royal university hospital. Um, and it was, the emergency was loud. Uh, it was bright. Um, There was just um, a curtain separating you from the next patient. Dawson didn't like it there for all those reasons. Um, I don't recall exactly how long he stayed in emergency there, but then they moved him up. to the uh, pediatric floor. Uh, He was in a room with four other people. Again, it was loud, it was noisy, there was machines going off, there was, um, it was just a harsh environment uh, for a child. The care, again, the doctors and the nurses were amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for a child who's eight years old, who's used to being in an environment that's calm and comfortable and, and now, He's seen all the. He's walking by rooms where kids are visibly sick, and and obviously um, in
0: infrastructure that was scary, yeah. not the care. Oh,
1: absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, it was just a, we all just felt uneasy, and and um, and Mike and I stayed with him. Mike slept in. It was a single bed, uh, so he slept in the bed. I slept on a. Um, like a small towel or blanket on the floor beside him. Um, And that's okay. We wouldn't have been anywhere else in that moment. But um, again, torn, Alex was back at home with family. He couldn't be with us. He doesn't know what's happening to his brother. All Dawson wants to do is see Alex. Like it was, um, yeah, it was, it was tough. Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. So Dawson required surgery to remove the tumor. Uh, tell me about that and what happened in his recovery.
1: Um, when we got to Saskatoon, uh, the first full day we were there, he was um, put through a battery of tests. He was exhausted by the end of the day. It was uh, not a fun day. Right. Um, he had one day of just kind of touring, touring around the the hospital. We called it Dawson's yeah. Adventure Day. We had a really uh, a really fun day. Right. Uh, but then. Um, his surgery was on the twelfth of February. Uh, he was to go in uh, at eight in the morning. It was a bit delayed. I remember it was about nine nine thirty when they finally um, took him into surgery. Uh, they allowed my husband to go right into the operating room with him, and um, so my husband stayed with him right until he was uh, until they put him under for surgery. Uh, Surgery lasted, uh, I recall it being around supper time. It was uh, quite a long surgery. It had went longer than they expected. Uh, They came out and said that they were able to remove uh, the entire tumor. I can just remember, well, I had spent the day obviously praying, bargaining to my God, and and, uh, it was... Uh, that's kind of the day where I fell apart. I sat out in my vehicle. It was cold. I remember it being so cold. Right. I just uh, sat out in my running vehicle. I cried and cried, and uh, knowing that my 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 son's life was in the hands of people I didn't even know. Right. It was uh, it was a really hopeless feeling. And I had kind of went from when he was diagnosed at the general. Um, like five days later, I was really positive and And uh, so by the day he had his surgery, I I don't know if I was exhausted or I was feeling not so hopeful. Mm-hmm. I kind of, um, I, I knew when they took him into, uh, I didn't know I when he went into surgery and um, I looked him and his, his big blue eyes and I just said, Dawson, I love you, you know, I love you. Uh, and then um, he said, "I love you, Mama." And, and then he went, I just—I don't know. I just a mom's, like you said, a mom's like intuition. A- I don't know for some reason. I just felt like that was the last time I would see him. Mm. Um, so uh, he came out of surgery, and and when they said they got all the tumor, um, I it brought me to my knees. I I couldn't believe it, and I I uh, I actually can't even articulate. I just it brought me to my knees. But um, forty-eight hours later, uh, he was supposed to um, slowly wake up after twenty-four hours. And when that time had came and passed, um, it I felt like they weren't telling us things. I didn't know. Uh, I didn't want to ask questions because I didn't want to hear. Yeah. what I thought um, was happening. So uh, it was about 48 hours after surgery. Um, the doctors had called us into this small room. Um, I remember uh, it was a really large table. There was lots of chairs sitting uh, around the table. There was about s- five to six uh, medical staff. My husband, um, his sister, Patty, she was a nurse, so she came in to kind of explain things to us. If we had questions, she understood the medical terms. Okay. And anyway, they had told us that Dawson had suffered a stroke after surgery, and um, his brain was continue- continuing to swell. But they um, basically said his condition was incompatible with life. Uh, And that day, it was my husband's birthday, February 14th, two days after the surgery. and uh, Valentine's Day. Yeah. And we um, had to let him go. It was just, we didn't want him to suffer anymore. Um, We didn't want to go to have him go through all those procedures just so we could still hold on to him. That wouldn't have been uh, the life he wanted. So we had made the decision. Uh, they removed him from life support um, and we waited, uh, it was 24 hours after they uh, removed him uh, from life support that he passed away. It was February 15th, which was family day in Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll never forget that. Um, you know, as other people were celebrating with their families, we were our family was being torn apart, like yeah. basically. Yeah.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I know that's yep. incredibly tough. I remember when we were up there; like, we have a large family, mm-hmm. and we were all up there. Dawson had yep. quite the cheering. Yeah, structure. he Yeah. Um. And to put it into perspective, it was a week before when he got diagnosed to when he it passed. Yeah, that felt like a lifetime. Yeah. Um. People often say, "I can't imagine what you're going through in times like this," because on top of wrapping your head around the tragedy, you're planning a funeral. You were supporting your family and your other son. You're hosting people. You're you're comprehending that this is your second child you're losing. Where was your mind as you were navigating this? And what what sticks out to you when you travel back to that week?
1: Uh, by the time we had gotten home, um, I was just so happy to see Alex again, and and. Uh be back at home. The mind is an incredible tool. I, th- I really believe it It protects you from falling apart like it. Mm-hmm. By the time I had gotten home and everyone had kind of gathered, like you said, Mason, we have a large family. Uh, I have a large family on on uh, my other side too. It, uh, we had lots of people and, and everyone had kind of uh, jumped into action. They converted our garage into, there was tables and chairs and we had um, the old school coffee pots going, and um, it, it was busy. So, mm-hmm. which was good. Um, I just was kind of numb. I I don't even recall crying that week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I was very focused on honoring Dawson, um, making sure a celebration of life was perfect, every yeah. detail. Um, I had lots of sister in laws that uh, and family that helped with that and were uh, played a major role in that at Mm -hmm. at some conversations when we were deciding things. Um, I just kind of sat and listened and they made the choices. Um, uh, but of course always including me and asking me if I was okay with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just was kind of on autopilot. I wanted to make sure Alex was okay. And again, I just, I was focused on making sure every detail of laying him to rest was perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, I also too knew I had a lot of eyes on me and, um, yeah, I needed to be strong and, um, yeah, I just kind of went through the motions and, and, uh, yeah, just numb, I guess. Yeah. So you were
0: so strong. I remember at the celebration of life, like I vividly remember thinking how strong you were. And when you um, were speaking about Dawson, I remember you saying that every morning you had to wake up and remind yourself that this was your new normal. This is your new reality and just feeling so heartbroken for you. And I just remember thinking like, I can't imagine what she's going through, but um, if there was a spirit that could shoulder this load, it would be Carla. And um, I'm emotional now. (laughs) Um, so I find when I grieve, um, there is a bit of a delay to it and it usually sets in when when the funeral is over, the guests leave, and it's just me sitting with myself, readjusting to that new reality that I was just speaking about. Was this something that you went through and how did you navigate your return to that new normal?
1: Um, we went from having the perfect family, um, everything we dreamed about, um, to just it being the three of us. Um, I dreaded setting the table because um, I would only have to set three plates out. Um, I still, to this day, that bothers me. We never, ever returned really to a new normal. Um, I know uh, my husband was so broken. He, um, we grieved differently. Um, I was focused on Alex. I just, I knew this was his story too. Mm. I, he was like I said, he was in kindergarten. Um, I I just threw everything I had into him and I did for years. Uh, and again, having already lost a child, I knew what was waiting for me. I knew what that grief process looked like. Um, and I wasn't ready. I knew I needed to keep busy and, and, um, again, I, and, and after, uh, Jossie had passed on, I felt, I felt peace that, uh, he wasn't in pain anymore. He wasn't suffering. There was a part of me that felt peaceful about that, but there was also a part of me that just kept going kept running Mm -hmm. uh kept busy i'm a bit of a busybody anyway but um like i said i I threw everything i had into alex and making sure he was okay Mm -hmm. making sure my husband was okay i knew my job now was to make sure we didn't all fall apart uh when we were the first day we had met with the funeral director after uh dossie died he had I'll, i'll never forget this fact he had told us 87% 87% of marriages fail in the first five years after losing a child. Mm. So uh, I, knew, um, I knew that was my job. I, I needed to uh, take care of my people and I needed to make sure they were taken care of. I knew there would be time for me to take care of myself
0: later. 87%. So, right,
1: does isn't that, that a crazy number?
0: Now that you've gone through that, does that surprise you? Like, did you feel pressures like you wouldn't have experienced otherwise?
1: Absolutely, like I said, everyone grieves differently. And I guess not all people can give um their partner that space to mm. do that. Um but yeah, it's it's a tough road. But 87% is that's really a, high. That's a really high it? number. That's yeah. 9 in 10 couples pretty right. much. Yeah. Oh.
0: Yeah. Where did you find comfort? Where did you where were your sources of comfort? I know for me at the Celebration of Life and I'll never forget this when there were balloons that we released up to yeah. up to the heavens yeah um you had a balloon for Alyssa the child that you lost mm-hmm. and two balloons made their way off together well,
1: that was crazy wasn't unbelievable it? it was but for really me, symbolic
0: symbolic yeah. like someone was leading yeah. and taking yeah. care of him in that moment right. yeah that's where I found a lot of source and still do um where did you find sources of comfort not just through that week but um later on
1: um, definitely later on. Uh, I love children. And I've always um, I love having conversations with with kids and looking into their eyes and just seeing their sense of wonder and just the funny little things they say and how they view the world. Um, so I found comfort in obviously being with Alex and, and his little buddies that would come over for play dates. But um I had been a stay-at-home parent, uh, as I said, since Dawson was born. And then in the fall of um, 2010, I had decided when Alex then went to school full-time, he was in grade one. um, I decided I need to go back to work. I needed to do something. I couldn't just sit at home and all day um, and just kind of be alone with my thoughts. Because, again, I'm a little bit of a busybody. (laughs) So... um, i was always volunteering at the boys schools i love volunteering uh and one day when i was at school uh helping out i think it was picture day um the principal said hey are you interested in a part-time job uh we have a position here as an educational assistant and i was like you know that might be that might Mm -hmm. be good for me um so my job um with prairie valley i i can honestly say probably saved me it Mm -hmm. um when I would go to school, I'd walk in the building in the morning, I was feeling heavy, I had a heavy heart. By the time I left, um, honestly, it the kids uh, cheered me up. Yeah, it, they just, they made my day.
0: How amazing is that? I feel like a lot of people would think if you lost a child, it would be hard for you to be around children, hearing laughter and things like that, but... You're just such a true and authentic lover of children yeah, that it yeah. it refilled your soul a little bit.
1: Yeah, it did. I can uh, growing up, all I ever wanted to do was be a mom. Oh. That's um, well, that's all I ever wanted to do. Uh, and you're a damn
0: good one. Oh, thank you. you. you absolutely. I appreciate that. Yeah. But let's transition to how you found purpose and motivation after finding that source of comfort. So you've always been somebody that's the first to raise your hand to help others. But I've, I'm so proud of how you are raising your hand to help others through a, cha- a tragedy that could be very similar to yours. So tell me about where this, this motivation and purpose to help others um, in tragedies very similar to yours came from.
1: Uh, you know, uh, after our experience at the Royal University Hospital, I wanted to help other families that went through um, what we had went through mainly Alex couldn't be with us when we really needed him to um and and really Dawson didn't get to spend the last week of his life with his little brother um I wouldn't want that for any other family I just I knew we had to uh do something to help other families or help other children I kind of took um it was about Oh, I don't know. Probably six or seven months after Dossie died, I would just been thinking about what I could do. I knew I wanted to do something in his memory. People wanted to donate um, during the funeral and after, so we had chose. Uh, we knew the new Children's Hospital was being built, so we had chose that foundation for people to donate to. So that just seemed like a natural fit. We we knew we wanted to. Uh, fundraise or something for the children, the new children's hospital that was being built. We just, I just didn't know how, um, how to get there. I didn't yeah. know what event we were going to do. So, so my niece, Megan, your sister, yeah. <laughs> and, um, my sister-in-law, Sandy, we would sit around the kitchen table. We would pick Sundays. Uh, it was, it was in the winter time. Um, I think it was before Christmas of 2010, and we would just throw out ideas, and I had uh, grown up as a competitive figure skater. We always uh, participated in Mm skate-a-thons, so uh, I kind of tossed around an idea. What if we do a -a skate-a-thon fundraiser? Um, Living in White City, it's a smaller community Um, everybody supports everybody. And so we kind of thought that's kind of how it all came together. We were sitting around the kitchen table on a Sunday, drinking coffee, having pancakes. And we decided, um, that we were going to, uh, host a fundraiser. We'd try it for a year, see how it went. We were going to hold a -a skate-a-thon, uh, the community skate there in White City. And we were going to have, uh, donations, um, Uh, towards the Children's Hospital. Sandy, my sister-in-law, Sandy, was instrumental with helping me with business sponsorships. I didn't really know how that worked, Uh so she helped with that aspect. Uh, you helped, you developed our Skate for Smiles website
0: <laughs> That was and like helped us. I hope nobody listening is like, oh, Mason does websites, we should reach <laughs> out. It was like on a free, like, it was like free webs or something uh, like well, that. It was amazing. Yeah. You
1: did an amazing job. <laughs> we all kind of came together. Megan helped too. It was, it was a family um we definitely put our heads together For and sure. i think that first year we held uh the event uh end of march and i think we that first year we raised $37,000 mm-hmm. and and we're amazed we we're yeah. like whoa we i don't even remember what goal we had i think we were thinking like 10,000 right. or something yeah we, and you know what that sparked something uh in all of us and yeah. we it kind of gave us something to focus on mm-hmm. uh again i knew after uh, already um losing my daughter, I knew I kind of knew how grief worked and I knew uh, I knew I didn't want to sit around and feel sorry for myself I didn't want I wanted to turn something terrible into something good mm-hmm. and I didn't want my son's life to be in vain I knew he would want me to be happy and carry on I just needed something to carry on his legacy and I think we uh, found the perfect fit
0: totally and I appreciate what you said earlier about that feeling of helplessness or hopelessness when you're going through something like this and that kind of transitions into grief a little bit. You feel like, how, how do I shake this? Like, I feel like I don't have any control over this. And this purpose kind of gave the family a way to shake this feeling of this isn't the circle of life. This isn't the way it's supposed to be and gave, gave us all, especially you, a way to um, look at this tragedy and find something positive to help others with. Right, And it continued to grow. Did And so Skate for Smiles, it grew every year. And over five years, you raised a lot of money. Don't tell me how much you raised (laughs) yet. (laughs) Uh, But how were you able to level up Skate for Smiles every year and spark generosity in others years after um, the tragedy happened?
1: Uh, Honestly Mason we just told our story. We told people about Dawson and just that we're just a regular family, a normal family that has been through tragedy and and we we wanted to give back to the children's hospital. We wanted to do this for the, the children and the families in our province. It just told our story, and mm. we offered some incredible prizes. Yeah. So, and I th- and I think too uh, that really every year with Skate for Smiles, it we knew what to do different each year. Uh, obviously, prizes were kids were they were super interested in all the. Uh, the donations, businesses, and, and families were uh, super generous with their donations for prizes. Mm-hmm. But no, every year it just, uh, word of mouth, I guess, too. It just, yeah, it grew, it grew and grew. Uh, yeah, we did it for five, five years, 2011 to 2015 was our last one. Yeah, I would have had to have quit my job if we were going to continue. It right. just, yeah, it was very time consuming, very healing, though. It yeah. was It was amazing. It was a... It was an amazing run.
0: And you're you're saying all we did was tell our story. And I want to make sure we're not undermining that. Because to be able to speak grief and tell stories of tragedy when a lot of us would have the urge to hold back and pull back and, and battle with ourselves with it, I think you need to give yourself more credit because you told you tell stories in such an authentic way, but also you just have a light about you when you're telling it that people want to support you and to be able to have that courage to to tell that story. I think you need to give yourself more credit.
1: Well, and, and really that's all Dawson. I, um, what he taught us, we were trying to give to other people. I Mm -hmm. don't know if that makes sense. You don't want people to forget about your children when they pass on. Mm -hmm. Like I just, I wanted to keep his memory alive, his name alive. He impacted so many people when he was here. I just. I wanted to do that for him. I wanted him to look down and be proud of me. I was still his mom, and I still wanted to do things for him. Right. And it was, um, you know, if he could carry on and and live life to the fullest like he did with a tumor growing in his brain for all those years and not complain, I could certainly persevere and do this for him. Yeah. And uh, that's that.
0: It's amazing. It's amazing <laughs> perspective and. I want to now give you the floor to announce how much and, and, and this isn't a spoiler like this this has been years since this right. announcement yeah. but I want yeah. to give you this opportunity to say how much money you raised through this.
1: Uh in 5 years we raised over half a million dollars for the Children's Hospital. I oh. believe the amount is 524,000 to be exact. Although my husband last night did give me it was like 523,947 <laughs> and 13 cents. Or something. 13 cents. Don't <laughs> well, no Mike, so yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. But yeah, five hundred twenty-four thousand dollars over five years for the children's hospital and the children's hospital foundation. Now the Jim Patterson uh, Children's Hospital Foundation. They were amazing to work with. All of the people there were kind and and helpful. Uh, we really enjoyed working with them on this on this process it Mm. was um, amazing and what they gave back to us they named uh, a family room off of the pediatric ICU the Dawson Eller family room it's a beautiful I don't know how many square feet it is Mike would know but I don't Um, it's a beautiful room looking over the South Saskatchewan River uh, which is kind of symbolic when the room that Dawson was in when he passed away looking over the river and um, I spent a few hours looking out the window at the river and then so now his room looks out uh, as well over the river it's a beautiful view it's a beautiful room
0: and it helps families in ways that may seem small but will have such an impact on their story you mentioned that families get kind of torn apart through this where Dawson just wanted to be with his his best friend, his brother, you mentioned that when you were receiving news, you were in this really strange room with a large table. Just the, the environment isn't conducive to receiving news like that. It gives families the opportunity to feel like family as they're going through such stressful moments that might give them that extra glimmer of hope and inspiration that they need to keep going.
1: Right. When we were with Dawson, um, I don't know if you remember Mason, but the family room we had, we Mm -hmm. had like, it was a corner with Mm -hmm. like a recliner and there was other families in there. It was crowded. We couldn't all be together. Uh, we had to just, I don't even know where we found together, but it was, Kind of an empty hallway somewhere where we could all be together. Um, And
0: sometimes we'd have to, like, sit apart. I remember the the Vancouver Olympics were happening during this time.
1: That's right. And
0: there were... T- that's what i remember there's just tvs everywhere yeah. and you're like i don't want to watch this this right. is something i should be excited right now i want yeah. to be with my family right now right yeah and this gives the opportunity for your family to stay whole unified together and supportive of one right. another
1: yeah it does there's a little play area i guess if they um you know for the kids that are there and and siblings that come or family members there's a little kitchenette um It's quite beautiful. It, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I hope no families ever have to go and spend time in there, Um, Mm -hmm. but that's not the reality. They will. I just hope that they um, can find comfort in that space and, and um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, let's pause the conversation for a quick second. As Carla is talking about the importance of fundraising for the Children's Hospital in Saskatoon, I want to touch on something very exciting. So Conexus owns a Saskatchewan-based wealth management company, Thrive Wealth Management, and they are partnering with the Jim Pattison's Children's Hospital on their Making Spirits Bright campaign and are matching donations up to $50,000. To tell us more about this, we have Kelly McNeil, VP of Advice and Planning at Thrive on the Line.
2: Take it away, Kelly. Sure, Mason. Like Connexus Credit Union, Thrive, who is the wealth management company, is a strong advocate of improving the financial well-being and security of our members and communities. Through its commitment to the vitality and health of Saskatchewan children, Thrive has partnered with the Jim Pattison Children's Hospital Making Spirits Bright Holiday Giving Campaign as their matching fund sponsor. The campaign's goal is to raise funds for the purchase of much-needed equipment and resources for the new children's hospital. By matching donations up to $50,000 throughout the giving season, Thrive really hopes to inspire others to give a gift that improves the lives of children and their families. The Jim Pattison Children's Hospital Foundation has achieved extraordinary success in bringing the Children's Hospital to life in our province, and to sustain such an important piece in our healthcare system, continued support is needed. Every dollar makes a difference.
0: Love it, Kelly. If you'd like to donate and have your contribution matched by Thrive, just visit pattisonchildrens.ca or just search for the Jim Pattison Children's Hospital on Google. Now let's get back to our interview with Carla. Take me to that day where you were able to tour the Children's Hospital in Saskatoon and see the family room named after Dawson. What was Um, that like?
1: You know what? It was bittersweet. Um, We, it's on the second floor. I can remember uh, we stepped out of the elevator and um, I didn't realize it was going to be right in front of me when I stepped out of the elevator. I stepped out and I'm not ev- I don't even remember who motioned to the room. And I looked and I just saw on the wall um, in big, bold print, the Dawson Ellert family room. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just started to cry. I, uh, and I'm not a crier, mm-hmm. not in public anyway. Right. I, um, I don't like it when people see me cry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I was... I don't know. I was proud. I was sad. Um, it was just bittersweet. I just, I w there was, I wished that we didn't have to be there that day. I wished Mm -hmm. his name didn't have to be on that door because then he would be here with us today, but that's not, that's not the way it Mm happened. So I was here. I was, I was proud of, I was proud of him for making a difference. I was proud of our family. I was proud of our extended family and friends and businesses in this province. I, it was just as a, it was a flood of emotions.
0: Are you proud of yourself?
1: Am I proud of myself? No. I don't know. Um, I guess I, be. I don't, that's, um, I would do anything for my kids and I did it. I did it for my boy and, uh, Yeah. Well, and other families of course too, but he was my inspiration. I guess. I you know, I, I did what I had to do. I've always just had this um fight in me and this um resilience. I was raised by two strong, independent, resilient parents. I had wonderful examples of what that looked like. I don't know, I wanna I fought to keep my heart soft and I'm still fighting to this day. Like I, I guess I've never really sat and said, Am I proud of myself? I don't know. I, it wasn't the vision I had for my life, obviously, but this is the path that God chose for me. And if He chose um, this path for me to inspire others and to be Alyssa and Dawson's mom while they walk this earth, then you know what? Then I, I guess I guess I'm more humbled than proud. Does that? Yeah. I don't know. Does that make sense <laughs> at all?
0: I I think so. I think you think so. Yeah. Okay. I think you can be proud and humble at the same time. I think it's like a quiet sense, like you're not being boastful about what you've been through. No. No. Yeah. Like.
1: Yeah. I just that's. Um. I guess that's a question I've never really sat and thought about. I've never. I've never looked at it from that angle. So. mm -hmm. I I guess it's been. It hasn't been easy, and you know, parts of my heart will always be broken. But um, yeah, I want. I want a good life and and i want my son and my family to be happy and and um yeah i guess i'll always fight for
0: that well your resilience allows for others to find resilience so i think you should absolutely be be proud of yourself thank you um how does it feel to know that through unimaginable circumstances and incredibly complex emotions you were able to reach your goal and dawson's name will for ever be on a room that brings so much comfort, relief and inspiration to families during their most stressful times?
1: I have a lot of gratitude. None of this would have came to fruition without all of the generous people that donated and the businesses and the family that volunteered their time and uh, everybody that came out to all our Skate for Smiles and other fundraisers that we had. I just, it feels amazing. I don't want people to forget Dawson's name and and the fact that they come in and out of the children's hospital and they see his name and hear his story. Um, Yeah. I don't know. It's just gratitude is the only word I'm thankful. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful.
0: Yeah, for sure. So it's been 11 years since Dawson passed away. Reflecting back on who you were days after his passing. You kind of mentioned some of this hard earned perspective, but I want to hear more of it. What hard earned perspective have you learned through your grief and resilience journey?
1: Oh boy, you know what? It's um really we a lot of things can happen to us in our life. We don't get to decide some of those things, but we certainly get to decide how we move forward or what we do with those experiences. And I, I just I it yeah, I had to take something terrible and turn it into something good. I had to change the way the story ended. Yeah, I don't know. You've got one life to live. I want it to be a good one. I love life. I, mm-hmm. I have lost two of my children, but I still love life. Mm-hmm. I uh, It's incredible. It's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful place to be. I definitely, I've had some dark days, definitely. Grief is, is it's a process. It's not something um, that you just overcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, with my daughter, I can recall after she had passed away, I tried so hard to get back to the person I was before she passed away. Like I, uh, I was, I just felt different. Obviously I right. was 23 years old. I'd just lost my daughter. Uh, I was different. Mm-hmm. And uh, for years I tried to get back to the person I was when she was alive. And, and I think with then with Dawson, I, I realized, you know what? Uh, I'll never be that person I was before. It doesn't, mean that uh that i'm go- going to be like negative or or something like that uh, i just won't be the same grief and grief is cyclical like it it ebbs and flows mm-hmm. it uh you might have a good year uh and then a bad six months or like grief it, and it can be anything it can trade it can be uh, and grief isn't just losing a loved one it's losing a job or a friendship or uh, just something that you love. Mm-hmm. There's just a little quote that I had came across. Um, I just like to read it. This. Uh, it's been 26 years since my daughter passed away. 11 since uh, my son passed away, and I just came across this quote, and it was like a kind of not an aha moment, um, but I just was like, okay, wow, that really resonates with me. But anyway, it uh, goes like this. Uh, I had my own notion of grief. I thought it was the sad time that followed the death of someone you love, and you had to push through it to get to the other side. But I'm learning there is no other side. There is no pushing through, but rather there is an absorption, adjustment, acceptance. And grief is not something you complete, but rather you endure. Grief is not a task to finish and move on, but an element of yourself, an alteration of your being, a new way of seeing, a new definition of self. By Gwen Flowers. Mm. And so true. It's, uh, you'll never be the same person again.
0: Yeah, it's not like it's a, a life stage. It's not like an appointment where you go to and then it's done and you're back on with your life. It is a part of you. It right. is filling a, a piece of you that you've that you've lost. It, it, right. It makes so much sense. Yeah. Did you take pride in when people looked at you, like, the, almost like the surprise, like, oh, you're doing really good. Like, do you, did you take pride and, like, strength from that?
1: Um... I don't know if I took pride in that. I definitely drew strength from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I drew strength knowing that other people looked to me for strength. I uh, I guess really like Dawson, when he was strong for his auntie, when he was ring bearer, I yeah. felt like I needed to be strong for other people looking up to me. Right. Uh, it doesn't mean I didn't... Um, fall apart a little bit when I was by myself yep. uh, again I don't I don't like to fall apart in front of people or <laughs> right. cry uh, but I I love um, being alone like I, uh, I lo- I'm a social person but I love being alone and in those alone moments is when I do my healing I I read a lot of um, inspirational quotes um, I love music yeah. um, I just all I'll drive for hours and crank the tunes in the summer to roll down the window, yeah. uh, do my best thinking. Yeah, and I just try to be real um, and honest with myself, but it, it'll be forever. And when I'm 80 years old, I will still miss my kids in heaven and, and other people that I've lost along the way. It's a life journey. Grieving is a process. It it Like I said, it ebbs and flows.
0: Right. It's a privilege in some ways because it means you loved oh, something. Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Absolutely.
0: So there may be a mother or someone who has recently lost a son or a loved one who's listening right now. What advice can you share with them?
1: When I'm talking to people, especially bereaved parents, um, I just, I want them to know that how they're feeling is normal. It anything they're feeling is normal. Uh, for me, I felt alone, uh, and isolated. My husband said he felt like he was going crazy. Um, we're not supposed to bury our children. It's not normal. It mm. it doesn't feel right. Um, your your hope for the future is lost. Um, it's just, uh, I try to let them know anything is normal. Um, uh, it's okay to feel angry. Uh, it's not fair. And that's okay. It's okay to sit and, and to feel sorry for yourself for a while. As the world goes on, um, without your child, you, you do. You feel alone and, and isolated, and, and you see everyone being happy and and um yeah it's it's uh well while you're in your darkest days it's definitely um difficult so i just try to try to give my perspective also to for anyone grieving a loved one um other people try to help like people that are trying to help you through your grieving process um all they want to do is help but people that haven't been in your shoes or walked your path or or feel how you're feeling they might give you a timeline. For me, I found, um, like after about a year, people think, well, they should be over it by now. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to just give those people a little bit of grace and understanding and forgiveness. Um, cause they don't know how it feels. Thank goodness. Right. That's a big one too. I just, I like to tell people, you know, be, be easy on them. They're trying to help and they might not know exactly, um, what that is, but tell people what you need. Mm-hmm. It's okay because that's all they want to do. They just want to help. So just tell, tell people what you need. Letting go doesn't mean you have to stop loving um, your child or, or your loved one that's passed on. It's just trying to find the beauty in the world. Like for me, I'm, I'm so much more appreciative of the little things in life. And, and I look for those little things or when I'm with loved ones and, and, you know, we, we, you know, it's, events or family gatherings or when I'm out with friends, um, I appreciate those times more. It's just, um, there is a letting go when you're, when you grieve, but I think it's the, it's the letting go of all those hard pieces. Um,
0: like the trauma associated. Yeah, I think
1: so. I think when you say you've let go, um, you're certainly not letting go of that person. But you're giving yourself that freedom to enjoy life again yeah and i think that's important because for years i didn't give myself that freedom and um yeah it's been a it's a long road it's tough Mm -hmm. but you can still you can still love them it's just a delicate dance between you know loving them in heaven and still living your best life here on earth and i think another big thing give yourself some grace be easy on yourself Do what makes you feel good. And just one day at a time, one breath, one step, one day. If you want to crawl back into bed and pull the covers over your head, do it. Mm -hmm. But always push yourself a little bit too.
0: When all else fails, count to 10. Right. You can can survive anything for 10 seconds. Yeah. Okay. So what's next for Carla?
1: Well, um... I've kind of been in the preliminary stages of writing a children's book. Um, I'm kind of targeting the 5 to 11 age group. Oh, awesome. Um, I just, I want to do, pardon me, a story on, of course, Dawson's. Uh, optimism and positivity. It's in super preliminary stages. I've never wrote a book before. So every time I sit down, uh, I'm like, um, okay, I have no idea what to do next. So uh, it's something I put away, I pull out, I put away, I pull out. I absolutely will finish it someday. Mm-hmm. Um, the timing just isn't right yet. Um, I'll get there. I'm trying to convince Alex to do um, to be the illustrator. He's an amazing um, oh is he? I he didn't know is, that but he's just kind of mm, yeah, I'm <laughs> focusing on baseball he, right yeah, now Mom. Yeah, yeah, So <laughs> yeah. Uh, it'll come together someday, but yeah,
0: that's awesome. So,
1: I'll get there. Someday. What a great
0: project. And yeah. like you said before, give yourself some grace. Like, absolutely. pull it out when you're ready yep. and when magic's ready to happen That's it will right. happen.
1: Yeah I'll know when when it's the right time so oh, awesome.
0: Yeah. Okay, well before we let you go, I'm going to hit you with some speed round questions to connect with you in a different way. You're cringing. <laughs> <laughs> I promise this. Oh boy. These will be good. It's funny how you you can say like some really deep, dark things that you went through, but the, the thought of answering know, a question right? that surface level is surface levels is giving you goosebumps. Dream okay. Roll. You ready for this? First question. I know that you love French fries. Right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite way to cook or prepare a French fry. I'm talking like crinkle cut, sweet potato fries. What is your favorite style of French fry? Uh,
1: currently crinkle. Okay. Cut in my Ninja Foodie air
0: yes. fryer. Yes, yes. Yum. So are you springing seasoning salt on it? Like what is the like, cause I hold your regard for French fries at like the very top. <laughs> so I want, if this is good enough for you, I want to know what right. the, the recipe well, is.
1: It depends what kind of mood I'm in. Okay. Sometimes it's just like sea salt. Yep. Um, other times it's the, like the seasoning salt, like kind of the, um, like kind of like, like taco cake. seasoning. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, sometimes it's no, it's none of that. And it's like, just ketchup or ranch. Okay. It just depends on the kind of mood. I'm in. Sure.
0: <laughs> <It> makes sense. <laughs> okay. Next question. Uh, something that Stoughton does better than anyone else.
1: Cruising down Main Street. Okay. But um, fall suppers. Oh, my. Those United Church ladies oh, can put yeah. on a meal. Like the, Is it foul or fall suppers? I think
0: it's fall suppers. Fall? Ours in Lemberg was the fall supper. Like Fowl F-A-L-L would, yeah. F A L L or F. Oh, yeah, okay. Like the fall, like, and it was always in fall. It was right before Thanksgiving. Yeah, wasn't it? You know, it? I
1: think I've always been saying foul. <laughs> <laughs> That's offensive <laughs> to these church but, ladies, right? But yeah. people that know me won't be surprised. Oh, like
0: foul, like, but, like turkey. Yeah. Okay. Fowl
1: supper, but also, well, back in the day, bush parties. Oh sure. yeah. I can say that. I can say that. Absolutely. You can. Yeah. Okay. I, every small town is
0: known for their bush parties. <laughs> right? Yeah, Like everybody had bush parties. Yeah. There was no bush. Like there was no bush that we'd all jump into. No. But it was like you'd yep. party around the bush. Right. <laughs> you Stoughton know I mean? had
1: the best in the area. Okay. I, I mean, I heard.
0: <laughs> yeah. I never attended. I, of course not. A lady heard, never yeah. attends a bush party. <laughs> right. Uh, I didn't know that you... Competitively figure skated. Mm-hmm. I th- I thought that um, you just enjoyed skating. I didn't know that you were a competitive figure. Oh skater. no,
1: it was. Uh big part of my life like really it, yeah i uh even in the summer times i'd moved to saskatoon and friends and i we had rented an apartment and one parent would come each week to stay with us and mm. we skated we trained all summer in saskatoon no it was uh it was my life you I were like skated. tanya harding not better. yeah yeah no it was a huge part of my life
0: oh wow awesome Next question, a song that can get you through anything.
1: Oh, this one's easy, Um, sort of. So (laughs) uh, my go-to song for if I'm uh, kind of feeling blue or if I'm feeling upbeat, uh, The Police, Every Breath You Take. Oh, good one. I love that song. The
0: bass in that one, like ding, 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 ding. ding, I love it. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, It is the perfect song.
1: It is. When you and think about it. Uh, it is. I love it. Yeah. And uh, another, well, Puff Daddy and Faith Evans do kind of a remake uh, I'll be of missing that one. You. Yeah. Yes. Mm. That's, um, those two are my go tos. Oh,
0: love that. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. Like, it's like, it's a song that is like, can be deep if you wanted yeah, to, exactly. or you can just enjoy the music and just like groove with yeah. the highway. Yeah. Good call. The last TV show you binged and loved.
1: Well, we just recently watched Yellowstone again, okay. To We had watched it, and then we just actually binged it to prepare for last night, and yeah. season four came out.
0: Everybody seems to be on this Yellowstone train. I have not seen it yet. But uh, no. Sell me on it.
1: Well, uh, Rip is really
0: cute. Okay. <laughs>
1: Like um, I, that's why I started sure, watching it. Yeah, um, Kevin Costner is really good in it. I don't really like that he kind of is the tough guy in it. Like okay. I like his roles in movies where he's more of a kind, soft guy. Sure. Um, it's all the characters are all really good, <laughs> and it's like based on a ranch, and um, it's not a it's not a series I thought I would like. Yeah, but, a lot um, of people say that. Yeah, and Beth is whoa.
0: Who's Beth? She
1: well, you have to watch okay. it, Mason. <laughs> she has incredible bangs. All the ladies out there will know what I'm talking okay,
0: about. Okay, sure. Something you always grab from the grocery store.
1: Uh something I always grab from the grocery store. Not French fries. Can't uh, say that. About okay, them. well, bananas. I have yeah. a banana every morning. Yeah. Nice.
0: The thing about bananas is that you know they're like a ticking time bomb. Like I know, they're right? they're you going gotta, to go bad. You like, have to have them. Yeah. yeah. Some
1: days you gotta double up because totally. you know that <laughs> yeah. they're gonna. I'm either making yeah.
0: banana bread or I'm eating right, this. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The last thing you were really excited about.
1: Well, I was excited to come here today. Oh, really? Yeah, I was. Excited and nervous. Okay. Um, excited. We just recently uh, went to Florida to watch my son Alex play mm-hmm. um, in a big tournament there. I was super excited for him. And anytime I'm watching him play ball, um, it's exciting. and. And nervous, like super nervous. The older I get, I just, I, sometimes I have to get up out of this down and go for a walk. Really? Even in baseball? I do. And it's just the last couple of years. um, I don't know why I get so nervous. I just
0: do. Is it um, nervous for them to, to win or is it like the safety or just, just for them? Just for
1: Alex, (laughs) just nervous for Alex to do well. Okay. Um, yeah,
0: because yeah, you know it means so much to him. To you him. want him yeah. to find the best success and yeah. for him to be happy at the exactly. end of the day. Exactly, awesome. so I
1: think that was, and it was just, it was um, exciting to just get away. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'd been a while since been on a plane. And oh, totally. Yeah, yeah the first so. getaway
0: after COVID, yeah. it just feels like, oh, this was a part that was missing. Right, yeah. yeah. For oh, sure. That
1: was exciting.
0: Um, second last question, you, I know you're a fan of music. That's why I'm putting two in here. Mm-hmm. What is your desert island album? You get one album on a deserted island. What is the album?
1: Anything 80s.
0: So what's on this 80s album? Are we talking like Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the um, World? We're we talking about Total Eclipse of the Heart, oh, Where Are We? Yeah.
1: Yeah, like I would um all of it. I like I like Guns N' Roses. Yeah. I uh yeah, Bonnie Tyler, I like yeah. her too. I I'm not picky that way. I uh
0: what we're going to do is we're going to watch those infomercials that come on at like 4 a.m. that have those box sets right. that they like scroll through the, s- <laughs> right. the songs that yeah. come from the top. Yeah. The
1: funny thing is I love music, but I never know who sings this song or okay. the name of it. Right. I just know, Oh my God, I love
0: this yeah. song. <laughs> like but, when you go to music trivia, there's right. always that one person yeah. that it's like, Oh <laughs> yeah. And you're like, what is it? And they're I like, don't I don't know, know, but I love this song. Same.
1: Yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah. No, that's me. Sure. Yeah.
0: Uh, right. Okay. Last question. What connects us?
1: You know, what comes to mind, um, a little bit of empathy, um, letting go of our judgments. And for me, from my perspective, when I really want to connect with someone, eye contact, like, uh, when I'm talking to my son or the kids at school, I'll often say, Hey, look at me. Mm -hmm. Um, just looking into someone's eyes and them looking into yours. I I think you can tell a lot about a person and connect with someone.
0: Yeah. from my perspective oh i love that carla that wraps things up i just want to say thank you so much and i am just so honored that i am related to you and Mm -hmm. you just breathe so much life and happiness and wisdom and the ability for you to to show up for others um and wear your battle scars Like, I'm so proud of you and I love you so much. So thank Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Love you too. It was an honor. Thank you. Well, that's it for our chat with Carla and this episode of the What Connects Us podcast. We'll be back in two weeks with our season finale. If you like the podcast, please do us a favor and hit that subscribe or follow button. Leave a review of the podcast and share the podcast with a friend or on social media. We'll see you in two weeks. Until then, you know I'm off to grab some french fries. Let's connect soon.